1: This week, we're gonna do an interview with Dr. Jay Allen from Safety FM.
2: This episode is powered by Safety FM.
1: Hi, I'm Sheldon Primus. I'm here to help you learn the business of safety consulting. This podcast, The Safety Consultant, will give you the tools to be your own boss by protecting the safety and health of others. It's a win-win. But before this episode, here's a message from our sponsor.
2: Do you feel that your knowledge would be better served if you were your own boss? Your knowledge can help more people improve their workplace safety. Most of what you know may be wasting in a job that limits what you can do for the overall health and safety of workers. Now is the time to start your own business while you're still working for your current employer. Start your own safety consultant business with the safety consultant blueprint course. Get your business legal in just a week. Brand yourself as an authority in safety, even on a shoestring budget. No more stressing about how to price your services fairly, but still make a profit. And experience the amazing feeling of being your own boss. This 100% online video course is instructor-led and will give you detailed steps to keep you focused as to what to do next to grow your business, lay out strategies to keep you maximizing your marketing and networking efforts, and explain how to get money in between clients. Register today at safetyconsultantblueprint.com and enter the code
1: PODCAST. PODCAST. <laughs> Dr. Jay, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
3: My name is Jay Allen, and I have been involved in safety probably for about the last 15 years, give or take, probably a little bit more than that. But probably my biggest claim to fame is a little broadcast slash podcast called Safety FM. Hmm,
1: Safety FM, I think I might have heard of that one. (laughs) (laughs) And what got you into safety? Well, before safety, what were you doing? Well, I
3: was actually in, well, it's kind of a interesting convoluted type of thing. I've been doing a combination of different things, but I was mostly inside of businesses doing operations and I was really heavily focused on operations that really just interacted with the general public. And then I guess we had what we would consider a catastrophic event that led me down the path of getting into safety.
1: So you were the lead person that was working operations and uh, what type of industry?
3: Um, At the time I was, when I, when the incident occurred, I was dealing or interacting with an organization that mostly handled transportation um, in regards of home delivery. So, okay.
1: Hmm. So something catastrophic happens, you're on the operation side, you got a taste of safety. Were you uh, primarily working with a team or just one person that was the safety person? How did this team or how did the, I guess, the accident investigation side work together for that?
3: Well, that's the funny part about the whole thing. There wasn't a team and I didn't have a taste of safety. Uh, There was no one that I could go to 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 have a discussion with in regards of what needed to be done, corrected, so on. It was more along the lines of we had a catastrophic event and then I started looking at things that we could put in place to correct what had occurred. Now, the problem was at the time I didn't realize that I was doing what we would consider now, quote unquote, safety. I just was more concerned of, can we make sure that we get people home in the same way that we got them in the first place? Preferably alive, of course, too. Hmm.
1: So in effect, you were doing your own definition of safety organically.
3: Correct. It's it's kind of a strange dichotomy to the whole thing because when you started looking at it, it wasn't like I had this, my heart said that, oh my God, I want to be a safety practitioner because let's just be realistic. Most of t- the times that people think about safety, you think about, oh my God, this is the rule enforcer. This is going to be the person that's going to tell me this needs to be done this way and that's the only way that it can be done. So that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for more along the lines of, am I really doing safety? When I started looking more into it and then that of course became a whole other conversation.
1: Yeah, so at that point, when you uh, got to the realization of, am I doing safety or not? Did you have to learn more about safety and health, or did you just, or should say, how did you learn more about safety and health? I I don't want to lead the witness.
3: Well, you are leading the witness. That's the funny part. The the interesting (laughs) thing, how it really started was I started doing research on what needed to be done from the National Safety Council point of view. So I started doing, reading a lot of articles of what they were doing, a lot of their quote-unquote defensive driving stuff that they had, and really started doing the deep dives into getting to that particular understanding and i was already in the transportation side of the business so i was like i understand transportation and the national safety council has some transportation items defensive driving driver's education stuff so i really started looking towards that direction and then i said it wouldn't hurt to become a defensive driving instructor And it was more along the lines because we were I was inside of an organization that I said, well, we can train the people that are here. So that makes it a little bit easier. And we can, or at the time I really looked at it as we could torture them. That's nothing against the (laughs) National (laughs) Safety Council, but it was more along the lines of now we're giving you the rules and this is what's going to take place. But that was my aspect at the time. And I kind of look at some of the weird things of my career of when I first started off in safety, I was that rule enforcer guy that I didn't want to become when I was looking at it from an operations standpoint, which is a whole other mess within itself.
1: Did that role change officially or meaning did you become operations slash safety as far as the uh, the business where uh, wherever you stood and far the organizational chart, did you end up having like another hat? That-
3: started off as an operations person, continued as an operations person, but all of a sudden... Clean management starts being handed to me in regards of customers that are getting deliveries done. And then they have a complaint of something that was tore up inside of their house. And then we start getting vehicle accidents tied into it and so on. So I guess Mm -hmm. organically it grew into that. And I, I've always said that it's very difficult for a person to be an operations person and a safety person at the same time, because you have to look at one over the other go, Are we generating revenue today or are we being safe in certain circumstances? I'm not saying that's always the case across the board, but as I was doing it, it became that weird effect of which is which.
1: What year are we talking about right around now?
3: Oh, we're probably talking back. Oh, three.
1: Okay. All right. So, oh, three, I would say during that time period. They're really developing things uh, slightly into like the behavioral-based safety stuff, and O3. Uh, that's you know prior to that, you wouldn't get into your human organization performance yet. That's that's a little further down in the, the list. So this is pretty much the time frame where you've got to you've got to create a lot of things yourself. I would imagine, right? Well,
3: that's the thing. At the time, I'm still looking at it of, okay, boom, we have incidents that are occurring in the field. We need to do better training or we need to have a better kind of worker who is actually going out there doing the work for us. Because if we had a better worker, we wouldn't have the problem.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, uh now you've, you've, you've given me another train, but before I get into that train, I'm going to ask you about your education, because I did introduce you as Dr. J, and this might put like a little bit of um, uh, a background to some of the people listening on your, your mentality towards life and safety. So uh, help us out with that one.
3: Well, Dr. J is a basketball player for the 76ers, <laughs> and that's the only way that I know that name. Um, but if you're talking about me in this particular circumstance, uh, yes, I, I, I'll go by Dr. J Allen from time to time. You'll normally how's, hear it mostly on my podcast, but that's the only time that you'll hear me really refer to it that way. I always tell yeah, people. How's, how's I
1: your, your jump shot?
3: <laughs> terrible. <laughs> when I was in high school, it was much better. Um, I, I always tell people, uh, I am Jay, and Mr. Allen is my father, and he, a few days ago I was talking to somebody and they knew somebody named dr. Allen, and I always go, nope that 's not me either <laughs> the way that i that I look at it is my education really at this particular point that we 're talking about in my career, not where we 're at currently, but back in the, in that particular year, only thing I have to that moment is a broadcasting degree, and that 's kind of my claim to fame, even though I'm working in operations doing transportation where a lot of people go, what? But that's what I had done at that point. I had come to the determination that I was interested in doing radio. I was interested in doing radio for many, many years. But when I went to College, I couldn't make up my mind at first on what I wanted to do, but I ended up changing majors like I tell people five times um, before it was all said and done. (laughs) Parents really loved me because of that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I changed majors five times, ended up um, getting the broadcasting degree and really something that I enjoyed. But I came to the realization that just as anything else, when you first start off in something, you're not going to get paid a lot of money. And I wasn't doing bad for myself due to my age and the time, you know, at the the time frame. And I was like, well, I don't want to take a A job making less money not realizing you know the experience side is going to play a huge factor into it so i took part-time jobs but i wouldn't do it full-time because i was like i'm not going to take that kind of a pay cut so kind of dumb looking back now but at the time that's what i was looking at so years so when we get to the doctorate if that's what you want me to go to next that's years down the line but that's after kind of going really through that safety stuff of really looking at and going well i like safety i understand safety but the format of safety that's out there right now is more along the lines if you're dealing with becoming a safety engineer, at least when I was looking at it. And I didn't have yeah. any kind of interest in becoming an engineer. And that was just me, nothing against safety engineers. It was just wasn't what I wanted to do.
1: So I started looking... It wasn't looking. something that lit you up. It was something that you, you felt was okay for other people, but it didn't connect with you and your path.
3: No, not at all. And then the funny part was I, my sister is... Well, my sister has a master's in psychology. So of oh. course the, the competitive edge always kicks in because my sister is a little bit older than me. So you know there always is that internal competition. I, I probably need a <laughs> <laughs> I need to, I kind of need a backtrack for a moment in reference to that both of my parents were in the Marines. So this made yeah, us oh. a very competitive household. So it's always kind of funny on how it works. My sister did decide to join a branch of the military, but it was not the Marines. <laughs> she joined the Army, and yeah. I opted not to join at the time because I kept on joking when I was younger and I would tell people it was due to time served even. Though I never served,
1: but yeah, it yeah.
3: was a, it was a joke at the time. Looking yeah, back, a- I regret that move, but that's a whole other story.
1: <laughs> so, Ziblo rivalry picked up, and you said, "You got your masters. I'm going to one up you."
3: Absolutely, and it was one of those things that, as I'm working on it, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I want to do because I knew I didn't want to be an HR director or VP or anything to that extent. But I'm going into industrial and organizational psychology, and the more I realize it, the more it focuses on how people interact inside of an organization, and you have some of those behavior-driven things. Now, the funny part is when I start looking at some of this, a lot of times people think that people that have PhDs have all the answers. No, it just shows that we're decent or really good researchers. And I think it's funny that when you sit down and have a conversation with people that sometimes there's that misconception that I don't have to do the exact same kind of work that you're doing to get some of those answers. I don't have like this magic formula that everything's going to be resolved for me. I still have to do research, still have to have an understanding on what I'm doing before I can move forward. It's not just, oh, I know it all. I'm Mr. Safety. I wish it was that simple, but that's not the case.
1: Yeah, it never works that way. And truly, I even start out when um, I I get into different locations and classes and I say, I am not the expert. I know safety and health, but you know your operations, you know your vehicle, you know, you know, whatever it is that I'm I'm there. So we're going to work this class together and we're going to help each other. That's usually how I start. Sounds like you got the same mindset.
3: Well, what I always find that's interesting is that you'll have people that will come up to you. And when you're doing an orientation or a class, and this has just been my experience, is that you always have that one student that wants to show everybody that he knows what he's talking about or she knows what she's talking about. And there's no problem yeah. with that. But they want to quote to you regulations from the book, what page number. And I tell people, I refuse to memorize a lot of that stuff because on the frequency of how some of those things change. And it bothers people that I don't have it memorized. And I go, I can either pull out my phone or my tablet or a book <laughs> that has the same information and I'm not wasting my time trying to memorize it. Now, I'll, I'll imply some of those things when I'm doing it because, of course, of what I'm going to do at teach out. I'm going to have that background information. And I'm not saying you shouldn't know the basics, but I'm not going to know every single little detail of regulation 0.4952, blah, 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 it's not going to yep. do anything. It's not going to change my life.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's really just a a competition at that point to see who could one-up each other again between uh, the safety person and whoever it is challenging them during the class or during, you know, their their walkthrough. That's a lot of time when they uh, you get challenged when you do your your audit or your safety walkthrough. And the know it all has to come and challenge the consultant.
3: <laughs> or the insultant, like I call like I call our the
1: industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kidding. So back to your story now that everyone got a good background of where you're coming from psychologically and as you're starting looking at your workers, your systems, your organization, trying to gain the education you were at the time because you're getting towards your doctorate at that period, it seems like it sparked a bunch of uh, internal uh, or intrinsic rewards for you as you started to get some answers. Is that uh, fair to categorize it that way?
3: Well, that would probably be the best way to actually respond to it because the more I looked at it, it was the more ideas that it gave me as I'm going down the path. Because Safety, when you really look at it, there is such different aspects on how you can look. And it's really depending on who you're speaking to at the time. I can have a conversation with a line level employee and I can have a conversation with a C-suite person. And the way that I look at it is I can't have the same conversation, but you can bend, twist and focus on what you're trying to do when you're having those conversations and still have the same general material. But you really need to drive it towards the person that you're trying to reference while you're speaking
1: to them. Cool. Well, during that time period that you were uh, adapting the things that you're learning and honing in your style of communication to each level of your organization, what kind of success did you see? And failures during that time
3: period well the funny part is that you normally when you're starting off doing this at least that's what occurred with me is i had seen a lot of failures because it wasn't really understanding everything across the board correctly and i think that where we get hung up as an industry or even a society is that sometimes we don't focus so that our failures are going to lead to our successes and Mm -hmm. because if you fail you kind of know where your next starting point is well this didn't work out till this point and now we kind of move Needle from here going to the next step. And when I took it, some of those things that I was learning inside of we'll say safety school because that's what we'll call it. <laughs> as, as we're as I'm learning them, I'm, I'm trying to imply them, but you have to have the belief from the organization. The way that I look at this a lot of times is when you're having conversations about safety, it's almost like a conversation about being a minister or an evangelist, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh Because you're selling something to someone that they can't touch, feel, or look at. And you're trying to tell them how it's going to make it better. Majority of the times, you will never be able to prove the accident that you may not occur. And that's always a difficult conversation. I can walk into an organization and say, hey, I just saved you a million dollars. Yeah. How did you save me a million dollars? Well, I gave you this idea. How do you know that idea saved you a million dollars? How do you know that it didn't? It becomes such a weird dichotomy in having those conversations because what happens is you're really selling the intangible and you, yep. can, ne- and you can never quantify it on a report.
1: Yeah, it becomes hard. It's the same thing like when you're uh, when you're starting a business and you need to project three years, five years out, and uh, you're trying to project things, you're really trying to say, if I'm going to offer it, let's say it's uh, safety services, and you're going to try to say, I want to get three audits a year. And that's going to equal equal x amount of dollars. Then now you have something to work with, and you put that in a business plan. You put that into, uh, you know, year four. I want to make sure that I'm doing five audits a year, and that's going to give me x amount of money. It's still intangible. You don't know if you're going to get you know the first audit or not, but uh, that's how businesses run. So. Mm. You're, you're actually tapping into something that shows that you, you've got the, the background in business, too, because truly it is intangibles that we have to uh, create some sort of feeling around to get some action. But it's the same thing that someone who is projecting out their sales forecasting, they're doing the same thing. They're just taking all the... Uh, all the different elements that you could say that, okay, I have past history here, which we call lagging indicators, and I've got some things here, which I, I think is forecasting, which is our leading indicators. I'll put those together, and and I'm going to call this thing safety. So is that something similar to to the evangelical side of safety and health?
3: Well, you kind of cover a couple things there, so let me kind of backtrack, if you don't mind. Number Go one, ahead. the way that you're actually referencing that—that's almost how you have to speak to most organizations when you're speaking with the leadership/slash operation side of the of the group for them to have a common understanding on what you're trying to do with safety. And I think it's funny that you mentioned it in regards from a business aspect, too, at the same time, especially going into the safety consultant portion of the business, which is really what you focus on here on this particular show. Because Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that when sometimes you have that conversation with people and you say, okay, you're trying to project that you're going to make X amount of money over the following year and you're going to do this amount of audits. And then they have a difficulty trying to go after the amount of money, especially if they're interacting with an organization where they say, well, it needs to be cheaper. and All of a sudden you're going, Well, should my price determine if someone's going to be safe or not? So I think it's kind of interesting that you kinda tied in both things at one time.
1: Yeah, and, and truly that's the uh the mindset that I I go with personally, but it's because I had to deal in in my level when I left my my position, I was dealing with board director and you know, executive directors and everything. So similar to what I believe your experience was too. So you're you're kinda speaking the same language there, right?
3: I, I attempt to. I try to adapt wherever I'm at. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So what got you uh, from where you decided that it's time for me to make a change, I'm going to step out on my own, and I am going to take the plunge and, uh, and do this thing by myself? Well, the funny
3: part is that when you're inside of an organization and you're doing safety, it's either it goes really good or it goes really bad normally depending on what the organization is. and I've been and I've been blessed where I've been in organizations that have allowed me to do a lot of the things that I want to implement and I've been to organizations where it's been okay, it hasn't been the gra- the greatest. Uh, but the funny thing is that when I started looking at it, I started writing what we call white papers in regards of here's what we're seeing, this is what we're testing, it's working, not working, so on now, I knew that I was never going to be able to release the white papers, especially inside of an organization where I was at, uh, cause yeah. I'm sure no one wanted their name released. And uh-huh. it's not that difficult to figure out things, if, especially now with LinkedIn being so popular. Like you can go, oh, yeah. okay, this is the year. This is who he's talking about. So I try to avoid, try to try to avoid that. Now, the funny part is as I once started going through this, I noticed that a lot of the concepts that I started to believe in, I won't say they became popular. Because they were popular, I just didn't know about them. And it's just like anything else. If you're looking for all of a sudden for a Toyota Corolla, you're going to realize how many Toyota Corollas there are on the road, depending yeah. because that's what you're looking for. So that's what yeah. ended up happening. And I, and I discovered this thing that's called human and organizational performance. And it's really a concept of safety that came out of the Department of Energy. And this happened after Three Mile Island. And they started developing this whole process. And I fell in love with the concepts of it. And I started tying it into organizations that I'm working for. And it was difficult to buy in because I'm turning around and I'm telling them, this is not a program. This is more a philosophy. And when you start saying, hey, you've already had a sunk cost that costs you X thousands of dollars to implement. And now I'm telling you, we don't need a program where you have a checklist to go A B C D and go through it. Then now we're going to use a concept where we're going to look at our actual workers and really have an understanding on what they're doing and tie it into what we're looking at from a corporate level. It became very difficult for very um, for some of the organizations, and I refer to that as work imagined, meaning the one that comes from the corporate office to work being performed. And mm-hmm. as you know, and as your audience members know, how often have you been to a training or you're starting off at a new position and they turn around and the worker tells you, this is how we train it to people, but this is actually what we do. And that's yep. would be a lot of the focus came about with this human and organizational performance side.
1: And for you, when you decided to internalize that, uh, What was your vision for your personal business on how would you get organizations to implement it and have you as either the implementer or have you as the consultant, if you will? Uh, when, When did that go?
3: Well, the interesting part is with that particular question. It was at first it was like, oh, I want to take this concept and I want to run around the world and tell everyone. And it's that dream, as a you reference on your on your <laughs> on your consulting blueprint that you offer, that I was able to to review and take a look at, which is quite excellent, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. But it was interesting because it's that whole that whole thing and that whole belief where you think. I'm going to run with it and I'm going to become world famous. And of course, you know, everybody has the dream at first, (laughs) but then I looked at it and I go, well, I can't be a generalist and go out there and say, you're in an organizational performance. This is what it means to you and how it's going to work for the new organization. It's really tying it into what do you know and where can you tie it into? And my background is transportation, logistics, warehousing. So those three things kind of go hand in hand. So it was starting to focus on groups that said, hey, this is important. And looking at them and saying, how my organization, meaning me with Safety FM, which stands for safety oh. focus moment, which a lot of people get confused by. Uh, That's true. <laughs> what I looked at was that was the target audience that I needed to go after. And it wasn't just general. I mean, I will have conversations with other with other organizations that do different industries. But my main focus are the ones that do transportation, logistics, and warehousing. Because that's what I know about. And it becomes, I'm not going to say I need to go into what's easy, but we have a common bond and we normally have a common language. Now, if you put me inside of a chemical plant, I'm probably going to run into some problems in regards to what you're looking for. Um, I I can take you down the path and give you some very general and generic information starting off. I can do do the one-hour, four-hour introduction. But if we start doing, let's do a few weeks at a time, I'm yeah. probably not the guy and I can probably point you to the correct one.
1: Ooh, okay. Uh, first job, what was it when you decided to go on your own? You don't have to tell me who, but what type of, uh, what type of client did you get on your, your, your very first client?
3: The very first client was transportation. Surprise, surprise. And they were a pretty big outfit. Uh, they're, they're known worldwide. And they were having problems inside of an airport location in regards of how they were actually, we'll say their routes were becoming an issue on how they were tying them in. So that was one of the, the one of the first things that I got to do.
1: How did they find you?
3: they knew me from working at another organization that did something similar.
1: (laughs) Oh, good, good. So I I tell everybody, uh, the question I get probably the most of with uh, safety consulting is, how do you get your first clients or how do you grow the business? And I always say, first, you start with, your influences, your your little circle of influence—people you've worked with, people you've gone to seminars with, people who you know maybe were competitors at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first place that I've always tell people to go because, in order to get business, someone's going to have to know you, like you, trust you. It's a cliche that I didn't make up; it's been around way longer than me, but it's so true in order to do I, I just can't stress how true that is so that you're, you're a testament even with your first client as to you know someone that was already in your circle
3: well it was really interesting on how it worked and when I tell you this you're probably going to sit here and go this almost sounds like I'm script writing or making this up so <laughs> this particular person that ends up contacting me worked for the company that I was at this person gets terminated Prior to them being terminated, it was, they were terminated, I will say laid off because terminated is, is a terrible word. They were laid off yeah. because that particular portion of the business was closed down. Nothing they did, so they got laid off. And I was their the regional safety person at the time, blah, 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 blah. And the funny part, they went to go work for the competitor. I get onto a plane and I'm flying from Orlando, Florida to go to Los Angeles. We stop in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I run into this person on the plane. And I was like, like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, No big deal. So we're just kind of in passing a few words. And we talk and say, he gives me his new card, says we need to remain in contact. I kind of chuckled. I said, sure, no problem. He goes, I'm going to call you. I was like, whatever. The next day, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm going to a totally separate meeting. He's there Uh for something entirely different. I decide that I got off early enough. I'm going to go to Santa Monica. And I go to Santa Monica Beach. And all of a sudden, I'm leaving Santa Monica Beach. And who do I run into? The same guy that I ran into on the plane. And I was like, what are the odds of this? I was like, I think you're chasing me. We chuckle. I have a meeting that I'm going to go to. And he's meeting up with somebody else. So we say we'll be in contact. We just kind of laugh. Continue on. I decide to leave. And no, it gets better. I decide to leave the following day. We're going to, I'm going to end up going back to, back to Florida and on the plane from Los Angeles to Phoenix he's on it and I'm like there is no way that this is happening I was like apparently we're meant to speak to each other and I'm flying southwest which you can actually sit wherever you want so we decided to sit there and have a conversation and that's how the the first one happened and I know that I I, I tell people that and I go it sounds like such a lie when somebody would say (laughs) that but it just happened and I was like it's a sign it's a sign that something needs to happen here so
1: yeah yeah all if you ever get a chance look up Deepak Chopra and uh Deepak has a book about uh synchro destiny and basically the whole book talks about different types of uh, different types of happenings in the universe globally even if we want to bring it closer to home than the universe <laughs> globally there's different events that happen that if one cog is slipped it wouldn't lead to the next piece uh, in the same way and therefore when you do have those moments that seems like it's luck or chance there's actually so much that went behind it in order for that to happen so that means it was predestined in that way i know there's many 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 (laughs) philosophies on that but i was gonna say (laughs) I like that one. So he calls it a synchro destiny.
3: Okay. So if if we're going to start throwing out books, there's a book uh, that I quite love that's called My Big Toe and it's by Uh Thomas W. Campbell and he is a NASA physicist uh, and he is a very interesting person on how he looks at it. Now, it does read like a textbook and it Uh is a trio of books combined into one. If you get bored, give it a read. I will tell you; it could, you'll look at things much differently.
1: And I truly believe that. So now that we got it recorded, I know I don't have to write this down. <laughs> so I can put it on my uh, my Audible, and uh, and I I do listen to stuff on Audible, which brings me to another thing. Congrats on your Audible! Uh, I, I know you announced it very uh, maybe a week ago. Announced it about your um, your work on an Audible book. So would you uh, tell us on this show what it was about?
3: No, well, thank you. Well, I, I can't take I can't take that it's my book. So uh, I, I, I want I want, I want I want to I want to backtrack <laughs> there. Um, it is a, it is a book by Dr. Todd Conklin which is The Five Principles of Human Performance. And it's really a book based around human and organizational performance. And I had the opportunity of doing the audio editing for the book. Um, The the funny part is that I tell people about the book, and it's not because I'm on it, because I am on it in in a couple of different segments. But Mm -hmm. that's not the reason I say it. I just think it's a really good starting point. In understanding human an organizational performance, and if that's something a different version of safety that people are interested in, and I look at it from a different version of safety because it's different than behavior-based safety. But he gave me the opportunity of being able to edit the book. Uh, Dr. Todd Conklin is very well known uh, within the industry, so having that opportunity was, uh, I'll say, it's fabulous. It would, it's like me being able to be on the basketball court with Michael Jordan is the way that I looked at it
1: yeah yeah that's awesome. no congrats to that well oh, thank you and that that definitely also brings in some of the things where for me, I always tell people if you're gonna be a consultant, you probably have to branch out to other things, you know specifically if I'm saying When I first got started, I thought I was going to be the world's greatest wastewater and uh, water utility consultant ever, and it didn't turn out that way. I ended up getting safety and health, and I I do all kinds of stuff. You know, I I sell domain names because I love that, and it's it's kind of a hobby, but it's it is you know a different way to make money. So here you are with the broadcasting degree, and you're doing some sound tech, sound engineering, which is like you're you're truly gifted at that. Oh, I, thank you. Thank I, you. I could say you are truly gifted at that. So it's it's fun in that as a consultant, yes, your primary title could be safety and health or organization or, or whatever that is, but it's almost like you're you're free to express yourself in so many different ways and find a way to bring in money for the family too in different ways. Is that the same for you?
3: I would say that. I would say absolutely, because when you, when I started going down this path, you kind of look at it and it's, it, you references it in your consulting course that the dream is, oh, I'm going to, you know, do some minimum work and that's how things are going to happen. And it's a good dream. And yes, you might get to the point where you have passive income, but you're not going to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, go into the office, quote unquote, at 11 and be back by three o'clock in the afternoon after you took your executive lunch just not going to be the way that it's going to start. It's a good dream to have, but it's the understanding that you might want to do a particular niche. And that would be something that I will tell you and your audience as you're fully are aware, you need to have your niche on what you want to go after, but also you have to be open to other ideas. And i looked at it from this particular aspect. I love radio. I've loved radio for, since I was, since I was a kid and I always call it. It's one of those things that I deem theater of the mind because when, like my parents were younger, there wasn't TV or TV had just first started, so they would sit around and listen to the radio, and the uh-huh. radio was the storytelling. And I think you yeah, still yeah. can do that with podcast and with broadcast. And I have an internet radio station that you know that's called Safety FM. But what I've done was I didn't want it to be the Jay Allen radio station because I just thought that would be boring. What I yeah. wanted to do was. Do something different, still saying inside of consulting, which was still safety, but do it from a broadcast side and have people tell their stories. So we have different shows on there. We have Dr. Todd Conklin that does what we deem our morning show, and he talks about the different aspects inside of his career and and interacts with different people. Then we have just different shows that are on there, and they even talk about behavior-based safety, even though people know that that's not what I go around speaking about. Because I think Uh people should have different aspects, and that has given me kind of like... Different, ver, um, different versions of work, even though it wasn't probably the ideal situation starting off. And the other yeah. portion, if you don't mind me saying this, is yeah. when you start off as a consultant, I know that in your course in particular, you reference to start off early as early as you can, especially if this is something you're looking at doing to establish yourself. And there's a little Absolutely. trick that you tell people to do in regard to starting their company. And I'll leave it on to the course because I don't want to give away your, you know, your intellectual property for free. <laughs> but understanding doing that and then also have the understanding that the longer you're doing the business, the more your brand and name will be recognized and understand that if you jump out without having any kind of clients or anything on the back burner, don't expect your first few months to be will say extremely blessed you're going to be making tons of money you better be prepared to be becoming very frugal and understanding that it takes it makes it takes money to make money you've heard that thing a thousand times Mm -hmm. it's so true just because you go out there does not mean that people know that you are out you are out there doing it you can actually start marketing and you only have a have a billboard sign and you turn it on or if you turn around and wink at somebody at the dark. Those two things, people will not know that you're doing one or the other. And it's all Absolutely. about how you market yourself and networking. If I can tell you anything, networking, 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 networking. Oh, did I reference it? Networking is very crucial <laughs> to how this is going to work.
1: Do you think networking might help? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> That's great. You're so true there. And I really feel that the, the message is uh, Start today. You don't need to you know, wait for uh, – actually, you're hurting yourself if you're waiting for a certain retirement date, and then you're going to start. It's going to set you behind the ball. You may have a client to uh, transition right away, which is awesome if you do, but consultants know that it's an ebb and flow with cash. So you get a bunch coming in, and if you're not prepared for the, the – the, the, uh, what we call it, the drought
3: period. I call call it feast and famine. You have a season during the year where it's extremely busy and then you have a season during the year where it's extremely slow. I also tell people, avoid having all of your eggs in one basket. That could come back to haunt you in the long run, just depending on how you have it set up.
1: Yes. So that's the dichotomy. You need to specialize and go with a a specialty. And I say that's actually to build your business, build your brand, but be open for certain things. And uh, open, like there's one person that I know that I I try to help first off uh, a couple years back. And he was Dead set about going to the public sector because of some wrong that happened to him. legitimately so, in the public sector. But uh, in that case, I wouldn't go to that utility or that utility. Uh, city or county i would try another one but to swear yourself off from just one major chunk of actual money is is hard to sustain a business that way so you have to have some real open-mindedness and tenacity what would you think about what's your your uh your phrase or your your thought on tenacity there jay
3: I don't know. It's really on how you look at it. It's really what it boils down to. And when it's all said and done, you have to do what's 100% best for you and what you're trying to accomplish. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's true. Because um, it's, it's truly... a what you want to accomplish but then also your available time frame and then truly your your physical needs do you need to pay your rent by you know two weeks <laughs> then you know that's also going to to change the way you approach things too well it, it, it's funny
3: that you mentioned that because i know we've had several side conversations in regards of how some of the things worked out for you and i think that sometimes people just tend to forget and this is my opinion um where uh-huh. people tend to forget that You still have to continue to live and you probably don't want to change your lifestyle of living. So something has to give. So either you have a good chunk of money saved as you're doing this or you know that you already have 10 clients lined up before you left your paying job that you're doing Monday through Friday, 40, 50, 60 hours a week before you go into this. And I think sometimes also the misunderstanding is people don't know the amount of work that you're going to put into this you will do more work now because it's for you opposed to somebody else and you won't realize that you're doing it when you first start doing it yeah and then i'm going to throw something in here if you don't mind and this is, yeah. me say, this is me saying this, nothing that you've asked me to say. So All just, right, hold just, on, just, let me
1: catch my mitt. Let <laughs> me get my mitt together so I can catch this one. <laughs> so I just want, to, just, right.
3: just want to put this in here. I have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in It has good information, don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured, I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. And I'm not saying that somebody needs their hand held through the whole thing, but you give it from the aspect of This is what you do at the very beginning. This is the next steps. And then you even give them a little twist there on what they can do in regards of if plan A is not working out so well, what you can do with plan B. And I think it's just an excellent concept on how to do it. Now, the other thing that I want to reference about your course, Uh people need to understand you have to have some generic, basic understanding of safety. It's not a full-blown I'm going to teach you safety 101. This is how to become a safety consultant, not how to become a safety person.
1: That's true. Hey, maybe that's the next course, right? (laughs) You never know. Yeah, I never know. Well, thank you for saying that. I uh, really appreciate it. You you threw that one out of left field, but I got my gloves, so I'll catch it. Good. If you do want to take the course, go to safetyconsultantblueprint.com, safetyconsultantblueprint.com. And where can people catch up with you, Dr. J? Or should I just say Jay? because you're not going to be <laughs> slamming, jumping from a uh, half court. <laughs>
3: right, I wish I, I wish I could. Now, isn't that funny? Normally people come onto your show to talk about product that they're pushing, not trying to help you push your own product. Isn't that I interesting? Know. But that's the thing part. Wrestling. I don't feel like I'm pushing. And I'll tell you, if I didn't believe in something or I don't believe in something, I won't talk about it or advertise. It'll just be kind of like, eh, let's not talk about that because it's not going to be the source of information that I really want to go down. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. To answer your original question on how where uh-huh. they can catch up with me, you can always come to safetyfm.com or streaming always live at safetyfm.live. And then if you get really really interested where you want to carry us around all the time we're available on every single podcatcher that you can imagine and then some and then we're available on the Alexa skills so if you have an Alexa little thing you can say turn on your skills down I'm going to have safety fm stream live on there and then of course your Google Play Store and iOS store we're always available as an app that's where we get the radio station and i really say, i really tend to really put a lot of my focus and joy on that and then of course we're always available for the safety services but that you can find there all on Safety
1: FM. Okay, and I know if you go to Safety Focus Moment, is it Moments or Moment.com? Just
3: Moment, but it's all tied in together.
1: It's all tied in together, so that's where people can get you if they need to get into the minds of their workers, get their business going and in, uh, in such a way that their organization is going to support quality, safety, and operations as one complete unit then that's when they get a hold of you that way to to help them out right that is correct all right well thank you my friend and thank you for also having me become part of safety fm so people will be listening to me on whatever uh slot i get and uh that'd be real fun i can't wait for that one
3: well i i believe this is the episode that's going to put us right there because we talked about doing 10 i think this is number 10
1: I believe so. Um, Maybe
3: that was planned that way. Did you plan that out?
1: (laughs) I don't know, but that'd be awesome. It's either 10 or 11, but um, I, I, man, I didn't even think about that. I forgot about that. That's awesome. Is that Sacred Destiny?
3: No, I, I think maybe. <laughs> maybe that's exactly how that worked. Or maybe it was my big toe. No, I don't know.
1: It, it, it <laughs> might be. It might be. <laughs> All right. Well, have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will catch up with you later. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you again on Monday. The tip of the week is going to be still using the OSHA.gov website, but you want to use the E-Tools, E-Matrix, Expert Advisors, and E-Tools. So you could go through the OSHA, go... You could type in either eTools, eMatrix, E-Matrix, and see if you can get it that way. If not, go down to Topics area, and you can scroll down there, and you can get it as well. Or, even better, you could go to the Employer section under Small Business Resources go to the right side of the Small Business Resources on the very top bar. You hit the word Small Business Resources. The second bullet is going to say E-Tools, E-Matrix, Expert Advisors and such. So click on that. And then when you click on that, it's going to take you to a page. And there's a whole bunch of tools that you could use and use this for your classroom setting and make it interactive training for the individuals that are taking your classes is really good and if you're back at the small business page you can also see some other things that could, you could use for either your classes or you could use for your business itself for compliance guides and other things that will help you so that's the tip of the week go ahead and use that OSHA.gov all business resources to your advantage. I will see you next Monday.
2: This podcast is being sponsored by safetyconsultantblueprint.com. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.